Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to episode 33 of the School for Dumb Women. The podcast where three dumb ladies put the anus in ignoranus by badly explaining Wikipedia pages back to you. I'm your host woman, Hannah Varrell, and I'm putting the crude poo back into podcast producer. Joining me is Puts the Come in comedian, Alexandra Haddo. The rumours are true, Hannah. I really have been wanking furiously at less popular male comedians. And putting the tit fire in first-time author, Caroline O'Donoghue. My book is out in June, Hannah, and if you pre-order from Waterstones, you can get one of my old bras. Word games are confusing. This week, we're learning about why famous nuns might all be evil citrus fruit, and where on earth teeth came from. Orange, you glad I didn't say Mother Teethreza? God, I hate myself sometimes. (laughs) On with the show! So, Caroline, this week you are both a food and a colour. What gives? Here's what gives, Hannah. We got a very interesting uh, question via Twitter this week. Generally, we use Twitter just for Simpsons gifts, but actually, Mm. sometimes people tell us things or ask us things. And um, Twitter user Hill 79 wrote in with the following question. Is an orange called an orange because it's orange? Or is orange called orange because of oranges? Oh. The word orange is meaningless now. It is completely meaningless (laughs) now. But what I think they're trying to say is... What came first, the fruit or the colour, right? What do you think? The right. most popular chicken or egg yes. pretender. <laughs> I think uh, the fruit came first and then the... I agree. Dulux made it. Okay, so I thought the colour was going to come first because I was like, obviously colours. <laughs> <laughs> Because colours are everywhere, like, you see the colour orange in, like, certain people's hair colours and in the sun and in certain kinds of flowers. I, I can I can name all lots of things that are orange that you might see on your daily day yes. um, that aren't a fruit. So I was like, obviously the colour came first. I was wrong. You are right. Yay. Yeah, because the fruit came first. Because if you're sort of living in a very natural environment and you're a cave person, yeah. you might see an orange and be like... This is a colour orange. It is the same as that. But it's kind of easy to have like an object to tack that onto in order to explain the things around it that are also that colour. That's kind of my thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess that makes perfect sense. So um, you might know this from if you've ever been on holidays that uh, orange in Spanish is naranja. Yes, naranja. it's very nice to say. Yeah, naranja. You were like, oh, Fanta naranja. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fanta limon. <laughs> it's like um, the words that you know in other languages are the word for entrance, exit, yeah. and like your favorite <laughs> flavors of things. Yeah. <laughs> Salida, naranja. Fresa. So yeah, the citrus definitely got its name first. The earliest recorded use of orange is in the 1300s, um, which comes from the Arabic naranq and the Persian naranj, which is where the 
the Spanish word naranja comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, and it comes originally from a word meaning fragrant. So oh. there's that. And then, you know, the, the color doesn't really crop up in art until 200 years later in the 1500s, um, where that when people start talking more about paint and how you make certain colors. But before that, we were just saying yellow, red. Bloody yeah, well, savages. Yeah, what color is your hair? It's yellow red. It's yellow red with yeah. brown roots. Yeah. It's a mix of two. Yeah. yeah. Um. So I answered that question pretty quickly. Um. But what I got into when I was doing all this research is the idea that like colors can be discovered. Yeah. And they can be um things that can be made and sold and yeah. and mean different things. And I got into the real real deep into this um article by Sarah Gotsman on Artsy uh, called The Brief History of Colour in Art. And it was basically talking you through when these colours, when colour started in, a, in an official way. That's really cool because I always think, you know, when Pantone does their colour of the year or whatever, yeah. and they've always got, I mean, I don't know how many colours they've got, but Lots. hundreds, right? Mm. Hundreds and hundreds. And there's so many that you wouldn't really think to differentiate between them. Yeah, yeah. you just be like, oh, it's a kind of greeny blue or something. Whereas they'll have, you know... 20 different names for a colour that kind of looks the same. Yeah. And actually, it is fair to call them different names, but I would have never thought of that. Yeah, So yeah. maybe it's kind of the same thing. They were like, oh, it's kind of red. And someone else was like, it's not quite red, though. <laughs> it's not quite red and it's not quite yellow. Like, I think Pantone in general are fascinating because they. it's weird that we just decided that this one company has the last word on what colours yeah. are. <laughs> like, how do they get that? And also, do you want to know something that I always think about? You can't imagine... A colour that doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah. And there must be other colours in yeah, different that universes. Surely and must be just an infinite, like mathematically an infinite amount of colours. Yeah, and you always hear about like species of fish and stuff who see a colour that we can't see or oh whatever. Oh my god! Yeah. And it's it's a it's a lot to think about. Um, so artists invented the first pigments as early as forty thousand years ago, and we know the cave paintings, and they're basically red and brown because yeah. they're just soil and blood, yeah. You know? yeah, and bits of animal fat cooked down and everything. Yeah. Um, but then Isaac Newton, we've had him before a few times. He sort of uh, discovers the relationship between color and light for the first time because oh, he discovers right. the yeah. sort of rainbow spectrum of like, oh, it's it's all a dependent on light, really. Yeah, is oh. how we perceive color. Um, because that's how it's hitting our eyeball. Yeah. Um, so red is the oldest colour. Uh, yeah. Because that's so the sequel to blue is <laughs> yeah, the oldest colour. <laughs> it's like the BDSM sequel. Yeah. Red, yeah. Is, the, red is the oldest colour. Well, it's a kind just, of geriatric version of that. Yeah. yeah. It's just like a really X-rated Grace and Frankie. <laughs> yeah. Jane Fonda and Lee Tomlin just scissoring senseless. <laughs> um, but so red is found in iron-rich soil. And this is the first ever cave paintings comes from here. And um, we started getting richer, proper, like, scarlets and crimsons in the 16th and 17th century because there was, like, a certain kind of a, a bug found in Mexico. Classic. And people started, like, going to the New World and, like, finding new things that could make new colours and generally exploring. And so it was a certain kind of bug that they started exporting along with gold and silver that, when crushed down, could make a lovely red. Oh, delightful. Yeah. My dad always told me that no woman ever looks bad in red. He's totally right. So true. Like we're all mm. aiming for the special K lady. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Always. Um, so this starts with this this bug in Mexico or whatever. This starts the sort of international trade of colour. And along with gold and silver, it becomes like an actual, like, an asset. Right. So quickly after that, blue becomes the most expensive colour, which is why 
in uh, Renaissance paintings that we arrived at Mary with the blue veil, right? Oh. Because that's just a colour that you associate with uh, the Virgin Mary, right? right? Yeah, it's yeah, the yeah. blue shawl. So it's kind of showing off. It is showing off, yeah. That kind of gold lame and blue, which is what we kind of associate with her depictions. Yeah. yeah. So that hue that um, Mary's veil has, it's called ultramarine and it comes from a gemstone called lapis lazuli um, that for centuries could be the only found in a single mountain range in Afghanistan. So yeah, that this becomes like the only way of making blue is comes from a literal gemstone. Like, it's true even with food colouring now, blue is the most expensive because it's there's no blue food. Yeah, oh yeah. my God, I learned that the hard way. So a few years ago, I tried to teach myself how to bake and uh, I decided I was going to make myself a red velvet cake because Lovely. that's like, oh, I'll Instagram it, I'll be that woman who bakes. <laughs> and um, I bought everything else. I bought like expensive cream cheese, all that stuff. And they didn't have any red food dye, but they did have blue food dye. <laughs> And I was like, oh, a, a blue velvet cake. That's like, that's cool, isn't it? Yeah, a nice yeah. blue cake. Um, what I didn't realise is that when you um, mix in like bright blue food dye with kind of lots of flour and eggs and stuff, it just becomes slate grey. <laughs> oh, no. It was the most disgusting looking thing you've ever seen in your whole life. It was like prison, oh, no. a birthday cake in prison. <laughs> Here's your brick, Caroline. Yeah. It was made it look like a slate because you're surrounded by slate to make you feel at home. <laughs> but anyway, on to more colours. You probably know this if you ever saw that movie with Scarlett Johansson, Girl with the Pearl Earring. But the colour yellow is from Piss. I don't, yeah. I don't know that. I didn't know that either. I've seen that film at some point. That's the only thing I took home from that film. I remember watching it <laughs> in the cinema with my mum and being like, yellow is piss. And piss is also, of course, in smelling salts. <gasps> Everything is piss. And piss is everything. So specifically, (laughs) it is mango-fed cows that turns their wee bright yellow. God, I bet they'd have loved it if they lived in the days of sunny delight. That turns turns your pee luminous. Uh, Moving on, green is poison. Sure. Uh, (laughs) You do always think of poison as being green. But surely, like, green is easy to get from plants so I don't think why so. not choose a non-poisonous one well apparently there's um green pigments have been some of the most poisonous in history um in 1775, the Swedish chemist Carl Scheele invented a deadly hue called Scheele's Green, which was laced with chemical arsenic. Wow. Yeah. Who knew, man? Who knew? Hugh. <laughs> Hugh knew. Hugh's who? <laughs> <laughs> um, black, obviously black is the gothest colour that we, that we have. Yeah. Um, but it comes from burned bones. Oh, come on. Right? How goth can you guess? Come on. Mad, isn't it? <laughs> Maybe that's why goths love black. Yeah. I mean, I don't think they even know they love it that yeah. much. They'd love no. it even more if they knew it was burnt bones. Absolutely. Maybe if bright yellow was burnt bones, they'd be like, <laughs> I only wear bright yellow. Yeah, and they'd be like, little rays of sunshine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it shows how miserable I am. <laughs> and of all the um, most controversial of colours, white is the... Most controversial because, as you probably knew, um, lead paint was a big thing in the 1950s and like yeah. asbestos paint because apparently that was the most, the only way you can get a proper, like, brilliant white is through that lead paint. Oh. And um, to this day, like, artists completely, like, miss it and they try and, like, find ways of getting it to put into their paintings that is legal because it's just the best kind of white you can get is the poisonous kind. That sounds like a Colin Firth film. It does. <laughs> He's a painter. The white but he man. Needs the white. Yeah. Five Oscars, best screenplay. It's not all of his films anyway. Yeah. yeah. The white, white man. Tried to find something. 
<laughs> yeah, but um, so I got a lot of this from uh, artsy.net, a lot of it from the Pantone website, which, by the way, is fucking fascinating. Like, Pantone deserved to own all of the colours because you can go through every, like, generation, every decade for the last hundred years and they tell you what the colour palette is and they tell you why. Wow. So they, they like, I looked at the 90s and I saw, like, a lot of, like... Um, Britpop. Yeah. <laughs> Denim colours. But there was, like, yeah, kind of turquoises and stuff and also, like, you know those kind of colours that Meg Ryan wore and you've got male sort of like beiges and topes and yeah. stuff and they said that the reason that those colours came into fashion for everyday wear were because um, people were able to afford international travel and they were like seeing things in like rented apartments in Spain and like wanted to you know adopt that and that's why we were into that kind of colour palette so it's like all these influences like what? Pantone gets it apparently this year it's purple Yes, it's ultraviolet. Or ultraviolet, isn't it? yeah, 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 yeah. It's a bit of a nan oh. color, isn't it? I don't fancy it. Yeah, it that. is, but I, I like dressing to, like yeah. a nan quite a lot. You do. So <laughs> I'll, I'll probably get on board with that. Caroline, what have I told you about bringing snacks into the podcast? I can hear the inside of your mouth. <laughs> it's not food, Hannah. It's raspberry pie, and it's my topic for this week's Women Who Code Mixer. <laughs> Each week in the Women Who Code Mixer, we attempt to learn something new about the tech industry because, as we know, robots are fast replacing us all and it's up to us to at least understand what's going on. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. Make friends with them. We love you if you're listening. <laughs> I'm hoping the Women Who Code Mixers will give me enough information to seduce Elon Musk in case I should accidentally run into him at Sainsbury's. I feel like you could um, be in a rom-com with Elon Musk where you like teach him how to be a normal boy. Oh, Absolutely. I love that. This is how we go to the supermarket, Elon. <laughs> this is what a party is, Elon. Yeah, it would be like common people, but with tech. And if you rearrange the letters in Elon, you get loan. Aww. Oh, he's lone. He's all alone. Lone musk. Or lone scum, if you rearrange the, word, the letters Smuck. of musk. Lone scum. Right. Lone scum. <laughs> okay, we must all shut up about Elon Musk now, because I'm sure he would, uh, wherever he is, wherever you are, Elon, I'm sure you're blessing our next conversation because it's about Raspberry Pi which is definitely something you two don't know about but Elon knows tons about because it's the exact kind of thing he'd be mad into what do you think Raspberry Pi is? Um, is it a porn thing? No Genuinely genuinely just don't know No, no idea. Yeah, Raspberry Pi is probably the biggest and most important thing to come out of Britain since the Beatles but like only a very specific number of people know about it Oh is it the X Factor winner or something? <laughs> <laughs> You say that, but increasingly, I don't know the names of celebrities. It's like, this is what it is to become old. Yeah, same. But anyway, Raspberry Pi is a very, 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 very small computer. It's about the size of a credit card. It costs about £25. Um, You can carry it in your pocket, but it connects up to a TV or a monitor and into a keyboard. And you can essentially use it to do basic coding, or that's what it's meant for. It was invented a few years ago. Um, to come up with a cheap, sustainable way how to teach young children how to code and to make it sort of easy and fun. Oh. Children who code. Children who code. Is that why they called it Raspberry Pi? Just to make it yeah, to make sound it fun friendly. And, interesting. and if you go on the website, it's super like it's very kiddy. It's very like, hey, kids learning how to do this. And because as they point out, people who were interested in computers in the eighties, they had kind of had to learn coding, even though they didn't even know that was what it was called. They just knew. Yeah, because that was the only way you could speak yeah, to a computer. Build a yeah. website. Yeah. They just they just did it. Um, and then technology improved massively. So, for example, I have a website. 
I don't know how to code even though I built that website. So technology has improved to the point that you can make things on the internet and spend your whole time on the internet or on the computer and actually not know anything about what's going on and not be able to fix your own problems. Yeah. So they're essentially trying to fix that for the next generation with Raspberry Pi by teaching them rudimentary coding skills. So basically, Raspberry Pi is teaching children to be more employable than us. In celebration, what are you going to do once you've been rendered irrelevant by both technology and the young people it's raising to be dependent on? I think I'd go really, really old school and I would just haunt them. Oh, Just a really kind of nice, you know, Egyptian cotton bed sheet because I'm going to be in it all the time. Like, Mm. it's got to be a nice one. Yeah. And just, you know, just stay so, so far away from tech that they'd be there programming you know their yeah. lives and they'd just be like that couldn't yeah ultimately, how, how do i program that away from yeah. me um and they couldn't mm-hmm. i think i'd um print off instagram so the whole of instagram print it off because yeah. that'll be obsolete soon because they'll be moving on mm-hmm. um and i'd sort of become you know like an old lady in the in the woods sort of thing and i would put on a huge exhibition of instagram the whole of instagram and then those children when they become hipsters and it comes back round again and they're like, oh, analogue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Equivalent. They'll all come to my exhibition. Oh, yeah. Printouts of Instagrams. Yeah. Um, and then I'll sort of be hailed as a sort of art pioneer. So, Hannah, you look like you selflessly donated your life to world hunger. What is up? Unfortunately, Alex, I have not selflessly donated my life to world hunger. I just didn't sleep very well last night. Oh, God, yeah. you look like shit. Yeah. You do, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so this week I decided I wanted to talk about Mother Teresa. And I wanted to talk about her because I kind of, I know that she was vaguely helpful in World War One. <laughs> vaguely helpful. Yeah. She's a saint. And I was like, well, okay, I should find out more about that. Obviously, not only was that the wrong person, I was thinking of Florence Nightingale, it uh, turns out. Also not the First World also War. Also the wrong yeah. war. Yeah, the Crimean, Crimean War. Crimean, is Crim- that it? Crimean? Crimean. Crimean. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, it just kind of proved that I don't know a lot about her at all. And if I had thought about it, I would be like, oh, yeah, but she was kind of alive for a bit of my life, wasn't she? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so she probably wasn't, you know, a functioning adult in World War One. No. So I thought that I should kind of research her and find out about what she did and everything. And that was really interesting. Uh, but the most interesting thing which I found out, which I did not know at all, was that she was actually a really controversial figure to a lot of people. Oh. Is this like the ultimate sort of pre-internet age of like Lena Dunham? Like, Yeah, was she the problematic fave of yeah. the 90s? <laughs> Well, let me take you through kind of what happened. Uh, So she was born in what is now the Republic of Macedonia in 1910. And she lived in Macedonia for 18 years and then moved to Ireland to become a nun. Obviously, very religious. Wow, I feel like I should have known that. But your granny knew her or something. She definitely did. My granny loved God. And then she moved to India, where she lived for kind of most of her life, actually. And she did a lot of good work. You know, she founded in 1950 the Missionaries of Charity which was a Roman Catholic uh, religious congregation which uh, helped people dying of HIV AIDS, leprosy, tuberculosis. They had soup kitchens and clinics. Whatever you can think of that she should have done, she did it. Oh, So to to, uh, linger in her early life for a moment. So this is a woman in the sort of 1920s or 30s when she's doing all this work, I imagine, and moving around a lot. How is she able to do this? Is she from a rich family? Like, or were her parents really liberal? I have no idea, actually. I kind of assume that if you say you want to become a nun, maybe you get a bit of... A uh, pass. 
Yeah, and well, yeah. I mean, you probably get a bit of help from, you know, if there's a church that wants you to come and... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Come I guess it's a good way out. to see the world, isn't it? Being yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not too shabby. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so she did all of this stuff for poor people, uh, which was fantastic. And obviously that's really interesting and great. But what I found more interesting was the controversy surrounding her because mm-hmm. it wasn't something I'd heard of before. So this is kind of going to take a turn and turn into the, um, you know, Mother Teresa controversy segment <laughs> rather than just Mother Teresa straight up. Saint or sinner. <laughs> So, yeah, obviously she was canonized by the Catholic Church, which is huge. She was made a saint. That happens very rarely. And it had to be proven that she had done two miracles. Mm-hmm. Um, Sorry, are we? is this on planet Earth? That's what you have to do to become a saint? Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. Yes, it is, Alex. Uh, and so she did these two miracles. I think one of them she sort of cured someone of cancer. And it was medically disproven by the doctor. Well, yeah, yeah of course. He was like, actually, I've been treating her for, you know, a year on all these drugs and everything. That poor doctor. I know. Right? He's the real saint in this, guys. Even before that, her views were quite controversial. Like, she's opposed to abortion. She used mm-hmm. her Nobel Prize speech to reassert that and said, I feel the greatest destroyer of peace today is abortion. No. It's direct killing, direct murder by the mother herself. Oh. oh I mean, that's not no. great, guys, but she is a nun that was born in 1910. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but to have that platform and to preach that kind of Yeah, if those were her private beliefs, you kind of get it, but like... Yeah, I know. I, I know yeah, it is I, the Catholic I, yeah, Church, so it kind of all. Uh, I'm not like sticking thing. up for her. I'm just saying that she's a product of her time and profession. Yeah, it's difficult, isn't it, when you're talking about people in the past? Because yeah. like, you, you have like, if you want to talk about them logically, you have to have moral leeway for what were the beliefs at the time. But also, then you're like, oh, but she used. Like, she could have talked about anything. She could have yeah. talked about hunger. She could have talked about war. But she's like, no, like, this abortion's the biggest thing. Yeah. Like, yeah. She was not- also anti-contraception, anti-divorce. But she was okay with homosexual people. She called them friends of Jesus. But, oh, um, well, yeah, hated okay. condoms, which, you know, could have helped with the HIV AIDS Oh, that does, does that mean loads of boys I've been out with the saints as well, then? <laughs> Risky. So she had controversial views. First off, that's the first thing that she was kind of criticised for. She was also criticised for poor conditions in her houses for the dying. So she had all these houses where people who were sick could go to die. Or, you know, presumably some of them thought they were going to get better. Like a hospice sort of thing. Yeah, I guess so, yeah. And apparently they had terrible conditions so they would reuse syringes without sterilising them pain relief was non-existent or inadequate uh, and conditions were unhygienic and one person actually once compared it to a concentration camp they just said the conditions were awful oh my god really terrible but again not to I mean I don't know maybe I should or shouldn't stick up for Mother Teresa who knows (laughs) no go for it Uh, we're requesting everything today but um, were those conditions an improvement on dying on the street outside exactly yeah yeah Yeah, that's the question isn't it but kind of to counteract that again Mother Teresa's charity was loaded so much money so many people donated to it um They had loads of money and they spent it so thriftily. Someone estimated that they spent probably 7% of what they got in. (gasps) Why? What were they doing? What was the plan there? Exactly. What was the plan? Apparently Mother Teresa was really like, just basically really tight and was like... She was just a tight bitch. I don't want to spend this money. I don't even know why. She funneled all of it into a PR company because she has the best PR of any nun who's ever existed. Why why is she so famous? There must be so many um, nuns through the last 100 years who've done great work. Why is it her? Well, because she founded a charity that became huge. It's global. Because of the PR. 
Well, I don't know, yeah. And there's, there's like thousands and thousands of people that work for Mother it. Teresa's AGM. So we've got 93% on marketing, 7% <laughs> wash those sheets in the, old, in the hospice. Yeah. So apparently one time she was having a meal with some people at, you know, she was off at some global event somewhere and the restaurant asked her to pay and she made such a fuss and was like, <gasps> this is for the work of God that eventually like someone in the queue was just like, God, I'll just pay for you. Oh my God, Teresa, shell out. Right. Jesus. It's really bizarre. And apparently a former sister who used to work for the charity um, said that the money wasn't misused, but the largest part of it wasn't used at all. Mother Teresa was also friends with some very suspicious people. Like, she was friends with a... Uh, suspicious people? Well, she, like <laughs> Fat Tony from The Simpsons. Yeah. She's there well, fucking yeah. playing poker. Yeah, actually. She was close friends with a guy called Charles Keating, who um, was a notorious financier who was involved in the 1990s savings and loan crisis, and also mates with a Haitian dictator called Jean-Claude Duvalier. And both of those men... <laughs> donated a lot of money to her cause. Money laundering. And it's kind of a question of like, well, maybe it was just spread really thinly because she had hospitals, she had hospices everywhere. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So, But also, if you were a gangster who was trying to launder money, going through the most famous nun of the world-led charity would be an excellent way to do it. Right, yeah. Would you leave a briefcase with Teresa and she'll drop it off in an airport (laughs) for you? (laughs) No one will ever suspect. Yeah. (laughs) No, it's all so mysterious. And obviously, most of what I've said is kind of like rumour and, uh, you know, you can't possibly know if it's actually all true. Uh, or not but it's just interesting to know that there's enough evidence or what seems to be evidence out there Mm -hmm. to create these quite like you know strong points as to why she's actually not such a great figure um the other thing was why why did she why did she do it why didn't she want to give people pain relief why didn't she Mm. want to create better conditions for these people in hospices if she did have all this money that she didn't give to them um and kind of the theory is that she she really valued suffering she oh, thought God, suffering that's so was fucking like, Catholic. Yeah, oh. she said that suffering was like a gift from God, um, and kind of. Well, she's fucking eating free dinners. Yeah, right. <laughs> and she said like, "There's something beautiful in seeing the poor accept their lot to suffer it like Christ's passion." <gasps> Oh, oh, that's a bit weird, me. isn't it? She's flying around on private jets going to, say. like, you know, international summit. She's a monster. She's Marie Antoinette. Yeah. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit get 30, bit get 20, 20, 20, bit get 20, 20, bit get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? 
For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So, Alex, your face is being held together by white chunks of mouth bone. What's that about? Actually, I lost my teeth recently. Oh, no, that's unattractive. Mm. This is how I do a blowjob. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, I'm doing teeth this week. We all have them. Well, most people. Yep. Mm-hmm. Probably your grandparents didn't. Probably not. Yeah. We've discussed that in a previous episode, which is because they put fluoride in the toothpaste now. Oh, yes. We've done it. Yeah, you've done toothpaste and now teeth. I know. What's mm. my obsession? Mm. Mm, I think it's mouths. Oral fixation. Oral fixation. <laughs> One of Shakira's best albums. Oh, yeah. Oh, I like laundry service. Oh, God, that was good. Yeah. <laughs> I'll do laundry next week as my topic. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, yes. So uh, I was I was looking at teeth. Obviously, uh, the sort of natural involvement of teeth is fairly obvious in that we became a predatory mammal and we grew these things to help us eat. End of. Yep, yep. But wisdom teeth. Oh, Oh, don't talk to me, girl. Don't talk to me. What are your experiences (laughs) with wisdom teeth? I think mine are happening and I don't want them to, so I've been ignoring them. I have not been to the dentist in over a year and they keep sending me texts like, come back. It's really sad. Oh, I get the texts as well. Yeah, very upsetting. Yeah. The texts. Um, I I got mine removed. I got one uh, other on my right hand side removed when I was about 16. I thought that was going to be it. But last year, um, the other side started coming up and... uh, it broke through while I was on holidays in rural oh. Cornwall. Oh, oh my god, that, so did mine in Cornwall. That's so fucking And weird. I was camping in the middle of nowhere. I was camping in the middle of nowhere and it was the most excruciating pain I've ever had in my life to the extent that I had to go ask the campsite manager guy um, if he had any pain because he was like a hippie. So I was like, oh, do you have any like maybe natural root I can chew on? He was like, oh, I don't. But I do have my back medication from my injury last year. <laughs> right. So he basically gave me morphine and it was fantastic. Continue, <laughs> Alex. <laughs> um, some ethnicities have wisdom teeth and some don't. No. Yeah. What? Yeah. Fuck. Specifically, the Inuit has a very low occurrence of wisdom teeth. And they think it's because their jaws are a tiny bit smaller. So they're too small to accommodate wisdom teeth. Wow. Yeah, I know, right? Bizarre. But because we can't accommodate them. Exactly. Right? So right? why do we have to put up with it and they don't? Yeah, exactly. We can't deal with them. But lucky old Inuits, they reckon, like 300,000 to 400,000 years ago, a mutation formed in the genes that suppress suppressed the formation of wisdom teeth. Wow, lucky them. Also, why do we have two sets of teeth? What That's do you mean? Oh, baby it? teeth. Yeah. Because oh, your yeah. face grows? Is it? Yeah, you couldn't have your big teeth on a baby. I look mad. Yeah. I know, but it's weird that they all fall out and then new ones come in. Yeah. Do you not think? Yeah. It's a very strange idea. But how weird is this? So I read that baby teeth start to form between the sixth and eighth week of prenatal development. Oh, mm. God. Wait. Yeah. And permanent teeth begin in the 20th week, in the womb. Oh, they're no. just sitting waiting. Yeah. Oh, if you've ever seen an x-ray of it, it's so disgusting, yeah. isn't it? Like, yeah. Yes. All those teeth oh. waiting to come oh, Like yeah. a little jaws fin. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> That's so horrible. Did you guys used to pull your teeth out? Oh, yeah, for real. I yeah. hated, money. I hated mm. that. I would do anything to avoid like my teeth coming out. Oh, same. But my dad pulled out my both my front teeth. Oh. <gasps> 
I mean, they Why? were they were hanging on by a thread. I would have probably choked on them if not, because I was like, oh, I don't want to pull it out. And then he went, let me just have a look. And then I was like, oh, God, it hurts so much. Oh, and he was and like, then he did it. No, it doesn't, because I've already pulled it out. And you're just <gasps> making a... How could you ever trust him again? I know. Well, he's nice to me most of the time. Okay. <laughs> um, and uh, I've never had toothache, touch wood. Oh. But toothache is obviously when there's like a tiny hole in your tooth and then oh. germs get in and start rotting your tooth from the from the inside. Oh, also, there's loads of layers. I'm not going to get into the science of a tooth, but there's enamel, there's like a spongy bit, blah, there's a root, a nerve. Yeah, They're horrible things, really. Mm. They're really gross. It's a bad idea, isn't it? It's a really bad idea. Like I think we should just sort of only drink smoothies and stuff, yes. really. But yeah, and there's a condition where... So saliva... One of its main functions is to protect the teeth, and it's almost like an antiseptic. Uh, well, there's actually a condition called xerostomia, which is a lack of saliva in your own mouth. You have a really dry mouth, and it means that you've probably got shit teeth. Because, oh, so that's like a double whammy of I know, shit right? Storm. And imagine yeah. kissing you, and you've got a big dry old mouth. Oh, mm. yeah. You'd have to sort of spray it with oil or something. Did, did you find out um, why do some people have bad teeth? Why do some people just like grow teeth bad? I think it's just, I didn't find that out specifically, but I think in my reading around the, the topic, it's just like anything else. Like you have, you might have toes that are all sort of coming in higgledy-piggledy. It's probably genetic. And uh, <laughs> Do you have toes coming in higgledy-piggledy? Well, you know, some people's toes, you're like, why are they in a plat? <laughs> why, <laughs> why are they not now, just... Why does your baby toe have no nail and look like a humpback whale? Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Like it's just, it's kind of just genetics. Um... And we are attracted to really good teeth because it's a sign that you're a good predator. And so basically oh. you want to you want to have babies with the with the top predator. I really love how prehistoric that is. Yeah. Mm. You're like you could look like you could tuck into a zebra. Yeah. Mm. And I, I thought it was gonna be really, really profound, but I was like, why do we want teeth to be white? But it's just a sign of cleanliness, which oh, is well, which is also yeah. attractive. Yeah. Yeah. I've read some very interesting things about um, teeth and America because obviously everyone, the whole joke is British people have gross teeth yeah. and Americans have wonderful teeth because they make orthodontia a real priority yeah. and, and whatever. Um, but there's this huge like class thing in America because um, if you couldn't afford to get your teeth fixed, that's almost like a, a stamp of like, I am from a lower class. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, right, yeah. yeah. Um, well, weirdly, uh, the UK actually does come top in dental hygiene and having good teeth. But what Americans misplace it for is that we don't place as much value on how our teeth look. Oh, so they're mm. that's interesting. They're healthy, but yeah. they might be a bit wonky. We're actually there's a there's like a tooth index that I had a look at, and I'm not going to go into the worst countries because it's almost like well yeah there's some really poor countries which obviously can't afford to yeah. have dental hygiene it's not hygiene. really a fun list is it no exactly no. but it's us Sweden and I think France have got the big, the best teeth in the world because uh-huh. we take care of them but then we don't like bleach them and put veneers on them like the Americans do so uh-huh. we're known as having bad teeth aesthetically but actually we're not that bad uh-huh. nowadays I think we used to be like my parents teeth and my grandparents teeth are infinitely worse than mine have you had braces I did have braces yes oh you wouldn't know it from the uh, out of sorts bottom layer, but <laughs> top layer is looking tip top though. Thank you, thank yeah. you. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I didn't like have I didn't have uh, braces, but I did have a, a rather large dental accident when I was a teenager. Oh no! Where um, I uh, smashed my face down on some bike racks. <gasps> mm-hmm. Oh my yeah. god! Yeah, and my my front tooth came flying out. The whole thing. The whole thing, and that's why I have. 
that this is a podcast you can see. That's why I have a wonky C. One's longer than the other. My oh, front wow. two. Yeah. Why is one fake? No. What I did is um, I picked up the tooth. I walked home with it with my face full of blood. Don't don't say don't say that you put it back in. I put in a glass of milk, which I had read in a book somewhere that uh, softens helps keep the tooth soft. I put it back in. Ooh. I went to the dentist. He fixed a brace over the two teeth to keep it in place, like a splint almost. And then he said, he's like, it probably won't reattach to the nerve. I'd be very surprised if it did. And it reattached to the nerve. (gasps) So this tooth in my head has been on the ground outside. Your tooth regrew back into your... Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's crazy. You're like a lizard. (laughs) Arm falls off or whatever. You're like your own dentist. I am my own dentist, yeah. Yeah. I'm never going to be able to speak to you again without looking yeah. at that tooth. It's awful. I was thinking it? that is a ghost tooth. <laughs> it is a ghost tooth. It's seen the outside world and gone back. <laughs> no! <laughs> this is torture for it. Yeah. Like, I know there's light elsewhere. Yeah. I was on the ground outside a shopping centre for 20 minutes. <laughs> and everyone's like, yeah, sure you were, Bill. <laughs> it's like, no, guys, I've seen things. Yeah. <laughs> it's nearly the end of the episode but before we go we just have time for our weekly smart lesson where we try to teach ourselves how to become valuable female members of society otherwise known as smart women leading this week's smart lesson is Caroline. Thank you, Hannah. Now, well, we all work in various creative industries and are used to taking a lot of criticism about our work. Actually, Karen, can you say it one more time but kind of less rushed? We all work in various creative industries and are used to taking a lot of criticism about our work. Sorry, Caroline, you're just sounding a bit spitty in the mic. Could you just try again, please? See, that's it, guys. Fuck this. I'm quitting this (laughs) podcast. I'm going home. I'm not having fun anymore. This isn't good. Actually, you should stick around because our smart lesson today is about taking and giving constructive criticism. See how we did that? Ah, Meta. (laughs) You guys never actually criticised me for speaking too quickly, would you? No. No. So, Hannah, I feel like as the person uh, responsible for constructive criticism on this podcast, you'll have a lot to say here. Yeah, I don't think I'm particularly good at giving constructive criticism. I'll kind of say like, Caroline, can you say it again? But uh, I'm sorry, and I'll kind of apologise so much that I'll talk over you doing it again and ruin the whole thing. And then uh, what I like is that you'll sometimes stop me and Alex to go like, sorry, I'm not putting this in the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) And I'll be like, don't harsh my vibe. I mean, to be fair, one time you were describing the entire plot of Pocahontas 2. And I was like, (laughs) Caroline. The people need to know. What? We have to stop. This is not going in. I'm not going to ask any more details about that. There was a reason. There was a reason. Fine. Right. Well, I feel... Come on, it's all right. Yeah, fine. Very attacked right now. <laughs> but look, you're so pretty. I am. Yes. See, that was what we call a shit sandwich. You say one bad thing and then one good thing, or one good thing and then one bad thing, so it balances out. Yeah, so 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 you can alternate what's the bread and the shit sandwich. Exactly, the bread can be yeah. the compliment and then the shit thing in the middle. Yes. Or the, sh- the shit can be the bread yes. and then the compliment oh. in the middle. Depending on how serious the scenario is. Yeah. Like if somebody's really like cocked up beyond belief and you need to fix it now, you, you throw in a little compliment so they don't like their ego doesn't shatter completely and they still want to work with you, right? Yeah. yeah. But if it's just a minor thing and they're sensitive, just be like, oh, this line was really funny. You kind of lost the point in the middle there, but you really saved it at the end. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got your message across. I yeah. feel like this whole section is maybe just aimed at me. 
Like <laughs> how to tell you guys to speak slower and more clearly <laughs> Hannah, in a less mean? offensive way. <laughs> do you have any other tips, Hannah? Well, I guess uh, one thing you can do is prefix your criticism with, uh, oh, may- maybe it's just me being paranoid. It's probably just me being a total idiot. But And then give your entirely fair criticism. Yeah, I think that's a very British way to get about yeah. it. Isn't yeah. it? Like, God, I'm, I'm, do you know what? I'm being thick, but what you've written yeah. doesn't make sense. I'm being a total <laughs> idiot. Oh my God. See, for years, because I'm not from here, and um, because I'm from the country of like senseless bravado, um, for years I thought when people said to me like, oh, you know, this is just me, I'm a perfectionist, I'm just a bit nitpicky, um, but is it unclear in the last paragraph? And I'd be like, yeah, you are being a perfectionist. <laughs> so for years, I like just did, I just like, it was like water off a duck's back. I was like, I'm doing great. <laughs> I can ignore all of these yeah. things. <laughs> which brings us on to the second half of the segment, which is how to receive criticism. Mm. And I think the first thing that you uh, need to do is resist the urge to walk into the sea. Oh, I'm already there. Because once you realise that someone is criticising your work and hence the purest expression of who you are mm. and therefore must hate you. Yes. Uh, all you want to do is just like abandon all instruments, walk into the nearest body of water, I yeah, find. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Also, resist the urge to say, yes, well, I wasn't looking for feedback that is that specific. I just wanted to get a general vibe for how you felt. Yes. I am the worst for this ever. Yeah. So if I to ask anyone to read like a draft of a novel or a short story or whatever and uh, they'll be reading it and I'll, I'll literally be that person who makes them read it in front of me so I can get live feedback. <laughs> That's how much of a dickhead I am. And they'll be like, oh, um, I think you mean affect, not effect. And I'll go, oh, don't, no, I don't want specifics. I no, just... no, do you know, I just wrote this with my ass. Like, <laughs> yeah. please don't take it as the... I uh... just want you to tell me I'm going in the right direction. I don't want actual any corrections yeah. or feedback. I often do. I was going to do that anyway. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, this was just a draft. Come Essentially on. what you were doing is showing off and then they're trying to help you and you're like don't help me just praise me <laughs> yeah <laughs> maybe you should just go into it and be like I only want praise here yeah. I'm asking for feedback I'm not really I just yeah. want you to tell me that you think it's good yeah ultimately like it, it's obviously gracious to receive criticism in the spirit that's given which is generally constructive but if the person is a man criticizing you you can just sort of look at him sideways and being like are you sure this isn't a gendered response? Mm. Uh, Would you say that to me if it was a man? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you must always do it in an American accent. As yes, well. yeah, absolutely. And that works with women as well. If they go like, oh, I think your tone's a bit aggressive here. And you'd be like, would you say that to <gasps> yes. Jonathan Franzen? Yeah. Yes. And then they'll uh, always Jonathan have to Franzen. say, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe not. <laughs> oh, God. And then you get into a whole conversation about feminism and you'll forget what your piece of work was yeah, in the yeah. first place. Yeah, yeah, and you'll probably get a radio show commissioned or something. Yeah. Right. Fabulous. Well, that's loads to be getting on with, I think, for our smart lesson. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You both did really well. Thanks. Wow. Next time, you know, try and be a bit clearer, but <laughs> I think it was one of your best things. Oh, that wow. You've ever done. Delicious sandwich there. Mm, tuck in. <laughs> well, that's it for another week. We hope your IQ is now as good as your dental hygiene. Thanks to Soho Radio for the recording space, Gavin Day for the logo, Harry Harris for the jingle, and all of you for listening. Thanks also to Hill 79 on Twitter for providing this week's uh, very intriguing question about oranges. If you would also like to ask us a question about oranges or any other kind of fruit, then you can email us on dumbwomenpod at gmail.com or tweet, Instagram or Facebook us at dumbwomenpod. Oranges are not the only fruit. We look forward to hearing from you. Bye! Bye! Goodbye! 
So I talk Elon to a supermarket. Also. <laughs> <laughs> I had to take him somewhere. <laughs> so I was there. You walking around yeah. hand in hand with Elon Musk and saying, I'm thinking of like, and then he bought the supermarket. <laughs> <laughs> he said, Isn't this how it works? <laughs> I said, No. <laughs> He's walking to shops and buy them and then reinvent them. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.